What's Good Friends List, episode 69, nice, of the Game Pass Gamecast coming at you. With the Xbox Series X and S's launch right around the corner, the acquisition of Bethesda, and much, much more, it's been quite a whirlwind in the world of Xbox. Recently, though, head of Xbox Phil Spencer sat down to do a special interview that not only answered a lot of those questions, but also gave us a few more, too. So, this week, we dissect his latest interview, as well as his thoughts on the potential of exclusivity with Bethesda's big franchises like Elder Scrolls, Fallout, and more, the longevity of the Xbox Series S, the future of Xbox titles on Nintendo's platforms, and much, much more. Also, former Blizzard vets Tim Campbell and Tim Morton have announced the formation of Frost Giant Studios and are focused on bringing a new RTS experience to fans. What should fans expect from the well-versed RTS vets and what exactly makes a great RTS game for old and new fans alike in 2020? All of this and much more on the newest jam-packed episode of the Game Pass Gamecast. <laughs> now the fun begins. Bridget. Welcome back to another episode of the Game Pass Gamecast, your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox, Xbox Game Pass, and PC game, including news, rumors, and conversation around them damn good video games. You can catch new episodes of the show when they drop each and every Friday morning on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So, if you like us, be sure to subscribe to us. Subscribe to us, rate us, review us, all that jazz I tell you every week, wherever you get a podcast at, and Follow us on Twitter at GPGC Podcast to stay up to date with everything regarding the show, video games alike, and our dope giveaways. I'm your host as always, Travis White, aka Travelus, on most internet platforms. Joining me as always, my partner in crime, Mike Peepak. Mike, what's good? What's going on? And as always, what have you been playing? How's the past week for Mike Peepak been in the world of video games and just in general? It's, uh, yeah, uh, life's been crazy, man. Um, you know, work and school, uh, school, I have about four more weeks left of my semester with this condensed semester that we're doing because mm -hmm. they're trying to keep kids from going home and bringing, um, COVID to campus and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. uh, basically just been grinding a lot of schoolwork, but I am excited to say that I do have, um, a new game that I've been playing. Uh, I've been playing NHL 21 has come out. And there you go. besides some scathing reviews by people who just genuinely hate EA, I will say this is the first year and probably four. So take that as you will, mm -hmm. that it actually seems like there's been a little bit of innovation done. Not so much with like the go. game engine or anything. That's still the same BS. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But right. the, B, the whole Bia Pro, um, the new Bia Pro that you get like, objectives that you get a talking to from the coach pre-game post-game uh in the middle of games it'll give you like a, a, a like a sort of like quest thing that's like mm -hmm. hey we need to shut the opponent down um i need you to step up and you know get a four check going or whatever and then the next you know the next or the next um the options you're given is team play which is basically like sure coach i'll make sure to get pucks deep and make smart changes. And then the, mm -hmm. the, there's a star option that's literally like, do you want me to go put this team away? I'll go score a goal. How about that? 
and it doesn't necessarily it hurts your team um, play kind mm. of like you're standing with teammates, but it helps your personal brand. So you get more followers on social media and things of that nature. So I think it's just really cool how they kind of integrated that. And you even have post game scrums and interviews that you're given the same choices. So mm. overall, I'm pretty happy with it. It seems good so far. I haven't gotten a ton into it. And then EASHL, they've had a really hard time balancing things with that with that because they don't know if they want to do like a complete customization character. They've been giving you like kind of like preset builds, mm -hmm. if you will, that you can kind of just edit perks. And it yeah. seems like that's probably the most fair way to do it. Um, so basically it, it puts you on a similar standing of people who have been playing um, for a really long time. Now, of course, there's still like perk unlockables and things of that nature that you just get by simply playing the game. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, for the most part, it's not like if someone's been playing for six months and you get it on Christmas, it's not unplayable like it used to be. So hats mm -hmm. off to the team at EA. Uh, I wish they would do a little bit more innovation with just the game engine like uh, FIFA does really well and things of that nature. But overall, pretty happy with my purchase thus far. We'll see, you know, what happens. They just released like a 200 megabyte patch today. So that's about a week out from that's a less. Uh, I guess it's a couple. Uh, I don't. It's less than a week out from release that they're already releasing a significantly sized patch. So oh. that's actually promising. And then um, the next thing that's coming down the pipe for me personally is I'm actually going to be doing a stream playthrough on Friday at uh, probably around 8.30 p.m. I'm going so, to try to So wait to do... a minute. Wait a minute. Before you even go, just to emphasize, you're talking as somebody's listening to this live on release day. They can see you tonight. 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 Tonight! <laughs> Tonight! So, it ain't so fill them in. No. Fill them in. Fill them in. So, yeah, this is something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. I have some longtime supporters of my stream that donate $5 every month, for lack of better terms, as subscribers, just simply because, uh, you know, their family are some of the best friends in the world. And I simply just owe them. They've been trying to get me to do a Spooktober stream for like two years now. <laughs> and I'm always like, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then October ends and they're like, so how about that Spooktober stream? And I'm like, it ain't Spooktober anymore, bitch. Just because <laughs> I, I get like jumpy with games and things of that nature. I, oh, I look like sure. an idiot. So um, I'm actually going to purchase Amnesia Rebirth and try to do a complete and total playthrough Friday. So I might actually start that at 8 p.m. Friday, okay. um, which will be the night that you're listening to our podcast, 8 p.m., However, gameplay will not start until 8.30 because if you are coming over from the podcast and you do want to catch it, I want to give you a dedicated time that's like, this is when I'm starting. Like, 8.30, I will be in the game playing. So mm -hmm. feel free to stop on over. Watch me try to complete the entire Amnesia game in one sit down. It's some, one of those things where it's like, I just want to get it over with. Um, not right, that it's not right. going to be an amazing <laughs> game or an experience, but I just want to get it done. You know what I mean? Because I just owe it to everyone, so... No, definitely. And, and I just actually pulled up how long to beat right now just to see, like, you know, thinking, oh, a full, like, like one sitting playthrough of it. Because realistically, Amnesia of the Dark Descent, the main story of that's capped at about eight hours, I, it says on here, which I think ours was probably around that the first couple times we played that. Um, Machine for Pigs around four hours, but Fractional Games isn't didn't do Machine for Pigs. So I kind of just leave that out in the ether. I don't you know, whatever, but amnesia rebirth going back to its, you know, creative direct, like coming back home to its original developer. Um, you know, I'm expecting it to probably be, I'm hoping 
at least from what you know you're gonna play it then i'm sure i'll play it after um because i'm going away this weekend but i'll still be able to check out your stream which is good but um the uh just thinking out loud i hope that that game doesn't end up in the same camp as like outlast 2 where outlast 1 i thought was stellar in terms of how long it was it was right Mm -hmm. around that like i want to say i beat it around five to six hours something like that maybe seven at most um, and for a but, and for a horror game realistically speaking that's like yeah the that's like max right like 100 percent. once you get going much longer it's like almost like an exhausting experience right. you know what i it, mean at least for at least for ones that are not from you know that are coming from usually a you know independent developer or something like that and, that, and i'm not saying anything i'm more you know I'm more worried about, you know, quality over quantity, amplify that to, you know, I'm, I don't care how long something is. I'm, if it's impactful, you know, that's all I care about. I don't care if it's an hour or half hour game or whatever. I mean, I talk about a lot, go, uh, gone home, super quick game. You could be that in like an hour tops, but it's one of the most impactful games I ever played. So, but, uh, I hope it doesn't have the same effect. Amnesia rebirth. That is as outlast two where outlast two was fucking stellar. Stellar, absolutely creepy as hell, everything like that. But it 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 started overstaying its welcome for about an hour or two. Like I just, I hope I would rather have this game come in and go and be too short and not overstay its welcome than be too long. Where I say, okay, you know, man, I want more. Hopefully mm-hmm. they give us a DLC. Hopefully they give us some kind of, you know, like uh, Outlast got with Whistleblower or something like that. Hopefully they give us, you know. Amnesia, uh, the um, blah, blah, a machine for pigs was like half of the time that Dark Descent was, even something like that, you know. So if it's somewhere around that, I'm going to be happy. So I'm excited for you to play through that. It's getting stellar, stellar reviews on Metacritic right now, at least the PC version. The console version on PS4, it's kind of hit or miss, it seems like. But with a game like that, it's so I think it's so akin to being at home on a PC. It's native, actual design. So... We'll see. I'm excited for you to play that. I'm excited to get in and play that on, uh, you know, to watch you play it, then play it and get my hands on uh, myself. So also, I also will say like it's machine for pigs was kind of, I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but like machine for pigs was kind of that letdown for me, in my opinion. Like I know you played it from the first one. It -hmm. left a little bit to be desired there in my personal opinion. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm excited to get into another ver like another game of theirs, because I feel like, they did really great things with the Dark Descent, and it was like a cult classic, mm-hmm. right? And then they right. came out with Machine for Pigs. Seems like they might have tried to change some stuff up simply just for innovation's sake, which, like, more power to them. I've never worked in that type of field where it's like mm-hmm. you get bored doing the same thing or you're afraid to do the same thing. But I'm hoping yeah. that, like, they take everything, you know, that went wrong with Machine for Pigs, everything that went right with Amnesia the Dark Descent, just kind of boil it down to a really good experience. No, definitely. And, and it is important to note that a machine for pigs was developed by it was published. It was still published by frictional games, but it was developed by the Chinese room. It was developed by a different team. So this is coming back to being an in-house frictional games, you know, developed game. So um, I'm excited about that. And especially too, machine for pigs came out in 2013, seven years is a long time. So, you know, it's, it's good to let something like that, you know, sit on ice for a while and now coming back to it with its original development staff, or at least original development company, who knows, same staff or whatever, but you get what I mean. But 
yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, on my end, just to kind of run through real quick before we get into the show, since we're kind of pressed on time for today. Um, things I've been playing. So I've been kind of having one of those things where it's like all across the board. And I think it's because like, I want to call it like, like uh, gaming ADD, like where I'm like popping in and out of different things. I can't find something to sink into. Like my attention's being dragged in a lot of different ways. And I think that's really because of the next gen consoles coming and knowing like, Hey, in like realistically, you know, three weeks, you're going to be sitting there playing your Xbox series X or, you know, in even later in that week, PS five, stuff like that. Like there's so many new experiences that are coming like right around the bend that I think my mind's starting to say like, you know, in, in three weeks is a still a decent amount of time where it's like, I could easily play something through all the way. And, uh, you know, so, but my mind's also kind of like, man, do I want to sit down and invest in that when I could just play it on one, if it's a console game that I do want to play, I could, there's a 99% chance I could just play it on my next gen console to run better, yada, yada. Um, and the biggest example of that is, and I'm, this is me putting the Mr. Rogers gift, putting the clown mask on, starting up another playthrough of fucking fallout four where I'm like, I have all these fucking games on my back. Like I'm going through, and this is on both Xbox and PS4 side. Where I'm like going through and there's like, man, I got this backlog of stuff. I do want to go back and play Like, I don't know why, but I'm drawn to the fact of now that, and we're going to talk about this on the show, now that it seems pretty much all but confirmed that Bethesda titles, or at least Bethesda Game Studio titles for sure, aren't going to be released outside of Xbox's ecosystem. So it sounds like that's going to happen. So something in me is compelling me to, even though they're going to fucking work moving forward to go through and try to get like the platinum trophy for fallout Four. like go through and just get all of that as like a send off to be like, okay, that's, you know, this may be the last fallout game we see on this platform. I want to have it like just kind of like a cool, like oddity type of thing. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to play fallout on, you know, a, I host a fucking Xbox show. I'm going to gladly play Elder Scrolls 6, Starfield, all that jazz, probably on PC. But if I want to play it on console, which I'll now be able to take my save, I would imagine, to and from, like all Xbox Game Studios titles do with, you know, Play Anywhere, I'll be able to do that PC console wherever I want. So, but it's more of the oddity of it. So I started up a new save <laughs> with that last night with the intentions of, you know what, that's going to be my, like, send off to this console generation in a way maybe you know so because it's going to take probably 50 fucking hours to do it so it's going to it's going to take a while it's going to be one of those for the next couple weeks that might be my extra thing that i'm playing at night or whatever and um you know while molly and i are playing something you know while we're sitting around like we started playing like we've started playing a couple things we start playing until dawn and i know these are like ps4 games so i don't want to hang on them too long but until dawn um heavy rain we started to play um jason um but uh, also too, though, while I was kind of bouncing back and forth, I tried going back to fucking Metal Gear Solid 5, which like, I don't know why, but I feel like just because I like, I really like Death Stranding. I actually wrote an article about this, uh, earlier this week. You can check it over on, uh, bonusaccessory.net that I don't know why, but I think about Death Stranding a lot. I don't, couldn't tell you why. I don't, didn't necessarily resonate with the game from gameplay perspective and even the story, but like, it was so well done and leaned into like it doubled down on itself so much that I like find it that impactful. I don't know. It's really fucking weird, but I just don't think I'll ever resonate with a Kojima game, but I like keep 
trying to come back to it because I feel like I should. I fucking love Splinter Cell. I love stealth games. I love the open world, open air aspect of stealth that Metal Gear Solid 5 does that I really wish I would connect with it. But for some reason, I keep trying to fucking come back to the well and throwing the clown mask on like, let's try it again, <laughs> you know? So I don't know. But yeah, the big thing was Fallout 4, starting that back up because I've been starting a couple kind of trying to cap off a couple of like platinum trophies on PS4 and then starting to a couple things on game pass with Molly that I'm playing. So it's kind of been all over the place. That's why I refer to it as, uh, you know, ADD type of thing with gaming where I'm bouncing to and from, from a lot of things. So, but that's pretty much it on my end, Mike, let's head into button mash this week. going to go through some quick hit news articles before we head into our bigger topics this week, which there is quite a bigger, <laughs> it's like two topics this week. Cause the one's fucking huge. So, We'll kind of kick. We'll kind of kick through a couple of quick hit news articles here before we get started. Starting with, following the outcry that followed, unskippable ads yet again being added to NBA 2K. This time in 2K21, 2K has stated that the ads were quote not meant to be a as part of the pregame introduction, and this issue will quote be fixed in future episodes. Last weekend, owners of NBA 2K21 noticed that unskippable ads for the Oculus Quest 2 were appearing during pregame ad or ads that weren't there at launch, and they wouldn't even let you edit your lineups while they were running. NBA 2K21's Twitter account responded to the controversy, saying that while ads have been previously integrated into 2K TV segments, they were not meant to run as part of the pregame introduction. Ubisoft has announced the roadmap for Assassin's Creed Valhalla Season Pass and post-launch support, which includes DLC that takes place beyond the shores of Britain as well as Discovery Tour and free seasonal updates. The Valhalla Season Pass is made up of two expansions and one exclusive quest. The Legend of Beowulf is a quest available to Season Pass owners on launch day and will explore the quote monstrous truth behind the Legend of Beowulf. That actually sounds pretty dope. The first expansion, Wrath of Druids, or Wrath of the Druids, sorry, will be available in Spring 2021 and takes place in Ireland as Eivor tracks down a Druid cult. The second expansion, coming in Summer 2021, is called The Siege of Paris and allows players to relive the quote most ambitious battle in Viking history as they infiltrate the forfeited city of Paris. Mike, you're going to appreciate this one. Halo, the Master Chief Collection, and I will too, because I fucking love Halo, will become fully optimized on Xbox Series X and Series S and will feature up to 120 FPS in campaign and multiplayer, split-screen improvements, up to 4K on Series X and more, starting on November 17th. Announced by Xbox on Twitter, this update will be available for free to existing Game Pass owners or those who are or will be free to existing owners. There we go. Or those who are subscribed to Xbox Game Pass. Aaron Greenberg, GM of Xbox Games Marketing and Microsoft, has also confirmed that Halo the Master Chief Collection will also support cross-gen gameplay and adjustable field of view. And that's really big on consoles. Vampire The Masquerade Bloodlines 2 has lost another senior developer after its narrative lead, Brian Basoda, and creative director Kai Colney left the projects earlier this year. In a statement issued to PC Gamer, Paradox Interactive noted that Bloodlines 2 senior narrative director Elson has left developer Hardsuit Labs. Quote, we can't confirm that Kara El Eliason has decided to leave Hardsuit. I keep wanting to say Hairsuit for some reason. I'm a fucking idiot. Hardsuit Labs and is no longer working on Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. Kara brought fresh ideas to the project and many of her contributions will be present in the, in the game launching next year. 
We thank her for her work on Bloodline soon and wish her the best in all of her future endeavors. The Haunting of Verdansk. I can't believe I'm fucking reading this. We'll bring the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Saw villains. Have you seen these, Mike? Yeah, a little bit. It's, yeah. <laughs> Just the I fucking mean, actual saw, saw doll being a fucking skin, like, carrying around a fucking AK being like... <laughs> <laughs> It just fucking kills me. Anyway, anyways, <laughs> the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Saw villains into the game alongside spooky new game modes and more in Call of Duty Warzone and Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Available now and running through November 3rd, The Haunting of Verdansk is a new update for Call of Duty Modern Warfare and Warzone Season 6 that brings the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Saw bundles into the game. This Halloween-themed event will also feature new, quote, trick-or-treat reward system and new Halloween-themed game modes. Stardew Valley, in its upcoming version 1.5 update, will add split-screen co-op to both console and PC. Announced by Eric Barron, the creator of Starfield, or Stardew Valley, there there will be up to four-player split-screen co-op on PC, but, quote, on some other platforms, it might be limited to two. While Destiny 2 will be able to take advantage of faster load times and cross-generation play when the Xbox Series X and S and PS5 are released on November 10th and 12th, respectively, the next-gen optimized versions will not be ready until December 8th, 2020. Bungie detailed all the features owners of these new systems can expect on December 8th, including 4K, for PS5 and Xbox Series X, 100, or, uh, 1080p on Xbox Series S, 60 frames per second frame rate, and a field of view slider. It was also reiterated that the next-gen upgrades for all consoles will be free. Fans were able to vote on the next lightsaber that they'd like to see made available for purchase at Doc Ondor's Den of Ant Antiquities in the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Walt Disney World and Disneyland, and Cal Kestis, my boy from Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, has been chosen as the winner. Cal's lightsaber won with a 40.79% of the votes, beating out Qui-Gon Jinn at 19.56%, Anakin Skywalker at 12.37%, Lord Corvax at 11.41%, Kanan Jaras at 9.85 and Ezra Brigadier, Brigadier 6.02%. Xbox Game Pass is adding a trio of classic arts, LucasArts adventure games, Grim Fandango Remastered, Day of the Tentacle Remastered, and Full Throttle Remastered. These titles will join Xbox Game Pass for console, PC, and streaming on Android devices for Game Pass Ultimate subscribers on October 29th. And one of the biggest news to come out of Game Pass, Rainbow Six Siege is officially, if you're listening to this, is available right now on Xbox Game Pass. Right now. You can go on your console, do it, whatever, on console and mobile. I don't know why you would play that game on mobile, but hey, to each their own. Uh, it is available right now for all Xbox Game Pass users via console and mobile. So, Mike, before we kick into our big topics for this week, anything you want to run back real quick before we dive in? Uh, yeah, so... I think the Halo Master Chief Collection news is re relatively significant because one of the biggest issues people have had with that game mm -hmm. is the split screen problems that it has because it just doesn't run very, very well on the Xbox One console um, hardware. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty big deal that you're going to be able to play, you know, some better split screen experiences. But moreover, like the field of view sliders and things of that nature, that's a pretty big deal because you're starting to get into some serious customization for consoles. That just is something that's like not necessarily common. Right. So mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Um, the NBA 2K21 news. I just want to let it be known that like 
there's no developer in the world that's like, boy, I'm so I it, it the the advertisements weren't meant to be in there. It's like okay, <laughs> like we're not stupid. Like just own up to it and fix it. So it's right. good that they're at least you know doing that per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is just sad that it even you know got to the point that it's it's gotten to and then also i just want to give a shout out to stardew valley because i know marshy uh friend of the show you know former mm-hmm. former part of the show you know still part of the show whenever he wants to be i know mm-hmm. he's going to be loving the fact that he can play stardew valley split screen um it, i feel like i feel on- like he is going to fucking rope alexis in like daily into this be like hey um <clears throat> i kind of yeah. need help here uh <laughs> She's exactly. going to be like, Adam, it's two in the morning. I work at six, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's just awesome. And then also like, I think a, a little bit of like a underrated thing about that is the split screen capabilities on PC, because mm-hmm. there's not a whole, you know, there's not a ton of games that are, you know, split screen compatible on PC. I mean, there is, but like for Stardew Valley to com- like commit to having that, like that's amazing. And I'm so happy for, team over there and i'm so happy for all of the fans you know especially adam who's gonna Mm -hmm. you know get a lot of play out of that no definitely and that gives me an excuse to actually try stardew valley like for the first time because my fiance loves animal crossing so that's a reason for me to be like you know what this is very akin to animal crossing it's very you know base management home management it's just a life sim for the most part only with an emphasis on gardening kind of uh, so you know it's it's one of those things that it'll be it's just another thing that like i know that she'd be interested in at least trying and like diving yeah. into it or whatever so like i'm always trying to find ways to like incorporate her in the gaming because she, i can definitely tell she likes it and she wants you know stuff for us to do together like that you know it, it, it let it be known like it's just it ain't gonna happen like i'll probably i'll play video games until i'm fucking buried six feet under the ground probably so like i think she's kind of accepted that now where it's like okay this isn't going anywhere anytime soon in terms of him not playing video games let's find something you know common ground with that and that's just another thing um that we can you know definitely play together or whatever but definitely the the uh you talking about um halo the master chief collection it, it shocks me that, like, the only thing that I'm hesitant about with all of this, really, is that I feel like there still needs to be more communication with players just in general across the board uh, off all next-gen consoles, specifically when we're talking Microsoft's camp with them pushing, hey, this will do up to 120 frames or whatever, you know, like, it's going to output that. I just want people to know that, like, it may do that, but you're not going to see that unless you have the appropriate technology. Um, and if you don't have a TV that supports that, if you don't have a TV that supports, you know, HDMI 2.1 or whatever, it's you're not going to see those frame rates. You're not going to see that. And it just worry, worries me a little bit about that. At the end of the day, though, that's great that it's, it's going to just they're providing more accessibility options, cross gen play, all of that, like especially like you know, field of view slider. That's always great. You're seeing that more and more with more, you know, first person, uh, first person shooters that we're seeing pop up every week on console. Like we're seeing more people add those week over week. So, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. That's great. But I just want people to realize that like, Hey, if you don't have the technology to support this, you're probably not going to see these things. And that worries me that I don't think Microsoft has been clear enough on that. Same with Sony. I don't think either of them have been very clear on that saying like, 
hey, it's going to go above 60 frames per second. But your TV, you got to make sure your TV supports that. And I I just, I, I don't want to see any of either company really get any flack of like, well, you're saying I can get this and blah, blah, blah. Why didn't you tell me I couldn't use this and blah, blah, blah. And some of that comes on the onus of, you know, the consumer to do their research and whatnot. And, you know, just don't blindly buy something. But at the same time, you know, people have been accustomed to, you know, those type of frame rates haven't been something that's been accessible before on a console at a consumer level. Like that just, if you're, if you're getting those frame rates, if you're playing PC, like that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. So, and you're talking, if people are playing on PC, they're usually at the enthusiast level that they're spending, you know, a thousand dollars on a decent gaming PC. So, you know, outside of that casual dude who picks up, you know, who buys, and I kind of had a conversation with somebody in our comments last week about this, that, you know, it's the casual consumer that is the 99% for Microsoft and Sony, these next gen hardware providers. They're, they're talking to those people. They're not talking to, they're not trying to talk to, you know, they already know that Joe Blow, who has been subscribed to Game Pass since day one, who's owned all Xbox consoles, who buys a ton of Xbox games, who has a gaming PC, they, they're good with you. You, you know what's going on. It's, it's the casual consumer that they're marketing to. And I don't think they marketed that very effectively because Joe Blow, who buys Madden and Call of Duty every year, and that's about it, which is totally fine. They're going to go and pick up these consoles and they're not going to know what the fuck any of that is and stuff like that. So I just, I, I just don't want to see them get flack about that. That's all. Um, so, but hopefully, you know, just having these features like this is becoming more and more the norm with these games, hopefully. And that just means that more and more people are going to be interested in that and say, Oh, what the hell is 120 frames per second? What is frames per second? And they look up and they figure it out. But I just want them to, even if it is just the asterisk next to everything saying like, uh, if support technology allows or something like that, you know, some exclusions may apply type of bullshit with it, but I digress. It's still exciting. If you have the technology, if you're able to do that on your 4k TV with HDMI 2.1 or whatever, cool, you're going to have a blast because that's going to be sick. And we've been experiencing that on PC for how long now? So with the MCC, so it's great. Anyways, Mike, let's jump to our big topics for this day. And like I said, we have only like two, but one is like fucking four. So but, but um, what episode is this again? You know, this is, I'm trying to think, man. What was last week? Well, no, I think next week be seven. 70 next, yeah next last week la- so, last so week this was one's 70 minus one yeah and last week was 68 so oh so it's episode oh it's 69 oh nice nice we like that yeah nice nice cool funny <laughs> how that works <laughs> anyways anyways <laughs> jumping in our first big topic for this week a really big interview coming out of Kotaku from Steven Totillo. He does great work over Kotaku. But had a really great sit-down interview via Zoom, obviously. Social distance, people. Be smart, wear a mask. With Phil Spencer over on Xbox. And he talked all about a bunch of stuff. Halo Infinite, Xbox Series X and S launch, the Bethesda deal, all of that. Ton of really good stuff. So I kind of broke it down into, what do we got here? One, two, three, four sections from the interview of quotes and things like that, that I pulled that I really think are the, like the core big takeaways from all of this, because there's some juicy tidbits in each of them. Uh, like I said, from the Bethesda deal, Halo Infinite, all of that. So kicking it off in here, we'll start with the Xbox Series S and X kind of topics that he talks about here. 
At launch, Spencer expects the X to be the hotter seller, driven by the kinds of early adopters who snatch new consoles. Though, he also notes that the demand for the new Xboxes and the other new November console, the PlayStation 5, will cause everything to fly off store shelves in the early going. Quote, I think we'll be seeing every unit of both of them that we can deliver, he said, referring to the first holiday season. Microsoft isn't, or isn't releasing estimates of how many units they'll ship of either device this year, but he expects them to go fast. Quote, I think demand is just going to outstrip supply of pre-orders. For us and PlayStation, I think that manufacturing supply chain is going to dictate market share more than anything else. Stephen goes on to end to say, and then, quote, I think over the generation, our expectations would be that price really matters and that you would see the Series S sell more, Spencer told me. There is nevertheless a real power difference between the two Xboxes. That has worried some developers who have cited the Series S's deficiency in RAM, 10 gigabytes to Xbox or Xbox One, or Xbox Series X's. I'm surprised I haven't done that more leading up to this. Too many series and X's and whatnot. 16 gigabytes as a hindrance to getting next-gen Xbox games to perform as well as the X's specs should allow them to. I've heard from experienced developers who are split on the issue. Quote, I'm not worried, Spencer said. I think we have proof or proof points, like we said, on PC that show that you can get absolutely amazing-looking games on great hardware and have those games scale to the hardware capabilities. Speaking on the Bethesda deal, Spencer has said in previous interviews that existing deals, including ZeniMax games, would still be honored, suggesting that something like the time-traveling game Deathloop would still come first to PS5 as previously announced. Beyond that, though, fans have worried that uh, worried whether ZeniMax games would go Xbox would go Xbox and PC only. In other words, they've wondered if PlayStation would stop getting fallouts and miss out to the sequel to Skyrim. No, it's the newest Elder Scrolls. Stop saying like, oh, it's just a direct... Skyrim wasn't the first... I digress. Can be all riled up, Mike. God damn it. I wondered that too. Quote, is it possible to recoup a $7.5 billion investment if you don't sell Elder Scrolls 6 on PlayStation, I asked. Quote, yes, Spencer quickly replied. Then he paused. Quote, I don't want to be flip about that, he added. The deal was not done to take games away from other player from another player base like that. Nowhere in the documentation that we put together was, how do we keep other players from playing these games? We want more people to be able to play these games, not fewer people to be able to go and play games. But I'll also say in the model, and I'm just answering directly to the question you asked, which everyone very much appreciates. I wish all people would do this. <laughs> when I think about where people are going to be playing games and the number of devices that we had, and we have xCloud and PC and Game Pass and our console base, I don't have to sh go and ship those games on another platform other than the platforms that we support in order to make that kind of deal work for us, whatever that means. Moving on to Halo Infinite someday. Halo Infinite was going to be the Series S and X's big launch game. It's all over the console's marketing and its retail box, but the game was delayed in August, a month after Microsoft showed it running for the first time. Spencer told me he played Infinite about a week ago, but had, quote, no update right now about when it'd be out. There's also no release date or timeframes for other promised Xbox Series S and X games, including Rare's Everwild, Playground Games' new Fable, nor the console's port of this summer's highly regarded Microsoft Flight Simulator. That'll leave Microsoft or Xbox owners waiting and wondering what's next and when. I asked if Microsoft would consider offering Halo Infinite's campaign at a different time than the multiplayer if one is complete before the other. Quote, Bonnie Ross, head of... Uh, head of the Halo franchise, and the team will go drive those directions, Spencer said. 
but I think we want to make sure people feel like they have a Halo experience. I think we can look at, at options like that, he said. Any direction like that would have to factor into the structure of the game and its storytelling. Quote, so yeah, I think that's something to think about, but we want to make sure we do it right. And finally, Microsoft's Nintendo connection, Spencer talked about. Quote, we have a very good relation with Nintendo, he told me. And I think we will see our work very synergistically in terms to trying to grow the market and just make it or, and it just makes it easy. Every conversation we have with them has really been easy. He cites good conversations with Nintendo CE Shirotaro Furukawa, Furukawa and Nintendo of America president Doug Bowser who he said he spoke with last week. The obviously the obvious positive positivity of the relationship has heightened expectations that more Xbox games could come to Switch, but in August of 2019, following news of Ori and the Blind Forest coming to Nintendo's machine, Microsoft issued a statement that there would be, quote, no plans to put more of its games on other consoles. And in parentheses, Minecraft Dungeons already announced for PlayStation and Switch was presumed the exception. A year later, though, another Microsoft-published game, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, also, also released on Switch. Spencer categorized the Ori offerings as supporting the developer studio's wishes. That team, Moon Studios, isn't owned by Microsoft and has subsequently entered a publishing deal with Take-Two. Where does that leave the prospect of more Xbox games coming to non-Xbox consoles? Spencer told me that it, quote, doesn't feel sustainable to consider Xbox games on a case-by-case -case basis for the Switch and said, quote, in order to really support it, I would want a full Xbox ecosystem somewhere. And that probably means things like live and game passing and stuff. So whew, there's a fucking ton to unpack with that interview, Mike, you know, and shout out again to Steven Totolo over on Kotaku, who does absolutely awesome work over there and is one of the best writers over on Kotaku now. Um, you know, but I honestly think this is an interview that was really needed right now for a lot of Microsoft users, given kind of the whirlwind that we're all in right now, with everything kind of converging at once, the next-gen launch, the Bethesda deal, all of that kind of coming at this juxtaposition heading into next-gen. It's just kind of a big whirlwind. So I think the first place to start is in really which the biggest piece, if you ask me, out of all of this is basically the confirmation that Bethesda titles will be exclusive to Microsoft-supported platforms, specifically Bethesda Game Studio titles, i.e. The Elder Scrolls Six, Fallout 5, presumably, um, you know, and Starfield, things like that. And I'm on record a few weeks ago saying that I thought that Bethesda Game Studios titles, if I refer to them as BGS, that's what I'm talking about, um, would make their way, you know, I thought that they would make their way to PlayStation 5. And, you know, I don't take that back looking at it. You know, that's I, that's what I thought and what I thought the data supported. But that was just me. But over time, I definitely did start to think about really how fucking easy it's going to be to play these games and how it still can be easy even making them exclusive to the Xbox ecosystem by the time they release, especially with the emphasis on xCloud already on mobile, and more importantly, like we were talking about last week, it coming to PC soon, and console, but specifically PC, and we're talking, you know, next to nothing lap uh, laptops and things like that, that you'll be able to stream these titles. So Mike, do you think this low barrier to entry will kind of help ease the sting to games, you know, gamers who traditionally play these games on now non-supported platforms, i.e. PlayStation, uh, Nintendo Switch, things like that. Do you think having this low barrier to entry, being able to pull out, you know, a Chromebook or whatever, or whatever device you have on you, you're going to, you're technically already in the Xbox ecosystem. Do you think that's going to be something that helps, you know, 
lighten the blow a little bit of it. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a it's a it's a point that, you know, Spencer definitely makes to answer the question. And I do want to applaud Phil Spencer for just kind of shooting it straight in a in mm-hmm. a way, because realistically speaking, he could have just avoided the question altogether and not answered. So I will say hats off to him for giving a you know thorough answer on the on the mm-hmm. topic. I think that from a Microsoft standpoint, they just shout out the big bucks for, you know, Bethesda, Zenimax. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that they don't owe Sony, you know, PlayStation anything. You know, if they want to hold mm-hmm. Elder Scrolls or Fallout, like new Fallout games from that platform, you know, they own the rights to it. So they're more than welcome to. That's mm-hmm. no different than Sony holding something like Spider-Man from, you know, Xbox users. Mm-hmm. I guess it is different in just the fact that it's obviously not a same universe, but that's not to say there isn't a ton of Marvel fans who are Xbox players who are disappointed that, you know, they might have to buy a PlayStation to play that experience. But I think, you know, promising that it will be available on xCloud and just computer and everything, um, mm-hmm. it kind of does soften the blow because at least it's not a situation where some of the experiences, like clearly the Elder Scrolls was never going to be only on Xbox and not on PC because, you know, Bethesda right. started making games for PC first. So it's it's that was never going to be the case. But I do think that it's a situation, whether you like it or not, in the business world, that when a company like this owns rights to something, it's their right to do whatever they want with it. And, you know, they're not over like they're not purposely harming other platforms. In fact, you know, it's it's not something where Twitch is going back and DMCAing people for playing music on their stream. And it's like, it's some token. It's like, well, if I play someone's music on their stream, but I have my playlist listed and also they can see the current song and, and, you know, artist, at what point does that become advertising for that band? And at what point do they like, yeah, of course people are getting to listen to it for free and everyone wants their, their pay. But like, at what point does it become like a situation where it's like, look, I'm giving you advertising. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's just like, it's something that's tricky and Sony fans might not like it. Um, but, um, you know, Sony fans have been able to experience some amazing games. And again, that's, I don't fault Sony for not putting the last of us on Xbox. They own the rights to it. Like mm-hmm. that's their entity. I can't make them do that. And nor should I. And I can't, like, people don't, you know, go out and attack Nintendo for, um, you know, putting Zelda or Mario only on Nintendo systems. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. I will say it is a little different from that exper- that example. Like, that's not a direct example because, like, Mario was never on a different console. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that point I can at least surrender to. People who are Elder Scrolls fans from Sony that are going to be bummed if that if that's the way the cookie the cookie crumbles. But mm-hmm. you know, if Nintendo did buy, like, let's say Nintendo bought Bethesda, no one's going to attack Nintendo for only keeping Bethesda games on their console. So, no, you know, it, I'm I'm interested to see what happens. I mean, clearly, I, I discussed you know the potential for like a timed release at some point in time. I still think that's what they'll do. I mm-hmm. still think that Microsoft at the end of the day is about money um, for better or worse. And they're going to realize how much they could lose if they don't put that game on uh, Sony. But I do think it'll be a timed release exclusive, like six months or, or even more. You know what I mean? Yeah. And 
you know, like I said, I, I'm on record saying, like, hey, I thought they were going to bring them to, you know, Sony's platforms or and Nintendo's. We've seen Skyrim go to, you know, Switch and Fallout Shelter or, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, I'm with you. Like, and I did kind of, I've said that before. Like, it wouldn't shock me if they don't do it either, if they keep it in-house, because that's their prerogative. They they paid seven point, or will be. I mean, legally, they're binded to do that now, is my, you know, how it works. They've shown interest in doing it, and now they're going to officially do it. And I think they said they're paying it by quarter... I want to say it's the second quarter of next year. So within the next 12 months, they're going to officially in cash paying own Bethesda and well, Zenimax media and obviously everything underneath, including Bethesda. So point being like, like you said, that's their prerogative. They can do that. They can absolutely do that. It, it still is a little surprising just for the fact that one, how, how friendly isn't the word that I wanted to, how buddy buddy really Microsoft's been with its consumers with working with people. They've been on record for God's sake saying, you know, Hey, like, or, you know, people have heard rumblings and Hey, people have been open to within Microsoft's camp of putting like fucking game pass on PlayStation and putting like the master chief collection on PlayStation. Like, because they've talked about, we just want to get people in playing our games and get them into our ecosystem. So that would obviously do that. But at the same time, it, it definitely is. The more I think about it, the more I do think, like, you know, as sad as, uh, and, and I should say sad, but realistically, everybody, 99% of people right now in, you know, a modern civilization probably have a device that is technically within the Xbox ecosystem, or it will be eventually. Like, you know, they're talking about bringing xCloud to PC, which is going to be the answer to how shitty Stadia is and whatnot. And I, I fully, I fully, fully, fully support cloud streaming through Microsoft. Like that is hands down the best th service to go through. Like buy game pass, you know, subscribe to game pass, get in that way. If you want to do any kind of, you know, streaming or whatever, because eventually it is going to come to PC and whatever. So then you could have like, like my fiance, she has a Chromebook from work. She could fucking play it on there because it, it doesn't matter what you have. You can have next to nothing and be able to play it or a tablet or whatever. And realistically, people aren't getting locked out of that because they can easily get in. It would be whatever, you know, and in most cases, probably. And I guarantee around the launch of those games, they're going to have Game Pass specials where it's going to be, hey, for your first three months, it's a buck. You can mm. get in. You can fucking play Elder Scrolls six. You can fucking play Starfield. You can fucking play Fallout five. Like they're going to have those type of deals to get in people are going to be able to get in and play those it's obviously though not the best answer because you're playing on a phone you're playing on you know something that probably isn't your preferred device you know people like you they're like me i love achievements i love trophies i love things like that like you know i i'm sure if i'm somebody who's super balls deep into playstation's ecosystem they'll want to keep playing those games because maybe the past you know how many ever releases from, you know, Fallout 3 and on, they've gotten all the platinum trophies and all Fallout and Elder Scrolls games or something like that. Like, it does suck. Like, that, I, I hate the thought of, like, people being barred out of games like that, especially ones that have been, you know, trip, or uh, third party for so long. It, it does suck. But at the end of the day, like, we keep saying, it's, it's Microsoft's, you know, prerogative. Whatever they want to do, they fucking own it. They can... They can do that. I don't 
necessarily like that they're doing that because I still think that they can make a lot of money that way, you know, just licensing it out, like almost the Steam aspect where they're going to take a cut of it at the end of the day and they make fucking bank off of it because the PS5's install base is for sure by the time Elder Scrolls 6 comes out is still going to be huge. I mean, those numbers aren't changing. More people are, you know, more people than ever are gaming and those numbers are going to balloon. So it's going to be on both sides have balloon numbers. So, you know, it, it, it stinks, but it is what it is. And, you know, I just hope that doesn't turn off people from playing these games. But at the same time, like, it sucks. Like you're saying, it sucks. Like it, it, you want those I people think... to be able to play it, but it, they have ways to play it. And as soon as Game Pass or uh, xCloud comes to PC, I think that's going to open a lot of door. That's going to open this idea, I think, to a lot more people. Go ahead. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I just... I am, you know, I just want to touch on something that, you know, you kind of brought up and it just kind of just came to my mind um, just as you were, you know, um, speaking on the subject. I do feel like on this show in particular, we've been very good at basically having a refusal to say that there's a console war, admit that there's going to be a console war, anything of that nature. And I still don't think that there will be a console war per se, but I Mm -hmm. will say that this kind of feels like for the first time in a while, Microsoft has kind of taken that stance where it's like basically like nothing against people who are Sony fans or anything of that nature. But, you know, there's a few people that I follow on Twitter that are just pretty much rather um, bullheaded in their opinions as it is. And basically they're right. You're wrong because screw you basically right and Mm -hmm. there's been plenty of those people who have been sony fans that are are like people on you know twitter or in the media have been like well this is stupid that i can't play spider-man or the last of us on my xbox why is that a thing and they're and they just respond like if you want it so bad buy a playstation that's not my problem buy a playstation Mm -hmm. if you want it when i wanted to play gears of war i'd have an xbox when i wanted to play halo i'd have an xbox and it's like i just want to make it clear that like this stance from Microsoft, like you said, doesn't feel as consumer friendly as they have been in the mm-hmm. past. And it is kind of, you know, it's it's a little concerning because at the end of the day, I don't want it to get into a console race. I don't want there to be console wars. I want everyone to experience it. But again, like the Sony exclusives, you can't play on 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 computer. I feel like that's the biggest difference is you can't play that on the PC, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so that's, that's I mean, just... yeah. Well, no, technically, actually, with PlayStation now, you can... It is supported on PC, so you could stream games. Now, granted, and this is just from what I've heard, and me personally, I've used it in the past. Now, you can't download the games on PC. You can download PS4 games and PS2 games that are on the service on your PS4, but for PC, it's only streaming. And me personally, who has used the streaming end of it before, like uh, I streamed, I tried streaming Red Dead, uh, Red Dead 1 off of it because for some reason my disc from Red Dead 1 on my Xbox wasn't working or something like that. I can't remember. So I tried streaming it and it was gone awful. And I've heard nothing but bad things about the streaming quality of PlayStation now. So, but you can't do it on PC. You can for sure do it on PC. You just can't download any of them. They have, they have, uh, and then Horizon Zero Dawn is actually was ported to PC. But outside of that, that's it. Yeah. And again, I mean, that's, that's a great option, but I mean, it's just not, you know, what Microsoft is going to be offering as far as just legitimately having support on the PC for, for some of their games. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So, I you know, again, um, I don't think it's necessarily starting a console war, but I will say that I will at least give to some of the listeners out there who might say, like, this sounds like Microsoft wants a console war. Like, I will say that it, it is kind of trending that way. It's definitely a little strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it definitely. And I think that's why it sticks out. And we'll move on after this just because, um, you know, I want to make sure we get to everything. But, um, you know, it, it, I, I think it just sticks out a little bit because of how consumer friendly Microsoft's been the past couple of years. I think that like we've just grown accustomed to that. People who have been in the Xbox ecosystem for either a long time or still do play games, even if they are playing primarily on PS4, PC, whatever, this generation, but still have an Xbox and still play from time to time and play on Game Pass or whatever. And have just seen these consumer-friendly things for so long during this generation, you know, the latter half of this generation, that I think this just sticks out a little bit more that it isn't directly in line. It's very much, you know, akin to, you know, a Sony first-party, you know, release or something like that, which is good and bad, I think, to a degree. So, anyways, moving on. Phil Spencer, he did talk about how he sees the Xbox Series X being the short-term leader, you know, from the next two next-gen systems, which we've talked about before, knowing that, you know, all of these systems are going to sell out at launch. Like, everyone, no matter how good, bad, or people like them, they're going to sell out its new tech. You know, while really the bigger boom being, you know, the, at launch being the Xbox Series X, the he feels that the Series S will eventually sell long-term, um, you know, be the long-term winner in terms of sales. Do you think that's a safe bet, Mike? Do you think really it's as safe as Phil says it, even though, you know, the tech is still pretty invest- impressive with the Series S and, you know, it does lean into, hey, you know, most a lot of these games that are being developed with this technology in mind and whatnot, they're scalable, they fit into here, yada, yada. Do you think the architecture and these load speeds will hold up as long as they're really envisioning to kind of support the idea of having this, you know, entry level priced console? I think as long as, you know, the consumer has a internet connection that is proper, then yes. But mm-hmm. again, you know, something that you've brought up many a times when it comes to streaming devices and something that pretty much everyone has to at least, you know, agree with is some people live in an area where they have a one terabyte or sometimes even less data cap on their internet, which is insane to think of that you could be data capped because it's like, you know, your electric bill, they don't care how much electric you use. You just have to pay for it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, same with the water bill. Like they don't care how much water you run as long as you pay for it, where the internet, it's like, well, you can only go to one terabyte and that's it. And then we're going to, you know, slow your speeds down or even worse, charge you more, like overcharge you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's definitely um, contingent on a few things, like just if the internet landscape is proper, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say, I think that the Series S will sell a lot better with Phil Spencer's recent remarks on the Bethesda deal and, um, you know, going ahead and saying, you know, those games might be exclusives on Xbox because it, it'll be a better price point for, you know, so many people to get involved or even people that have Nintendo to get involved. You know what I mean? Right. No, definitely. And, and it's going to be, I mean, I think these, I think the features that the Series S do offer compared to the X, I, I, I still think they're going to, having the infrastructure alone is going to last a lot longer than I think a lot of people are thinking in terms of, the actual architecture of the system and the ability to transfer the data. Now, I still think that, hey, 
you know, when we're seeing, you know, usually the old saying is like, you know, console generation doesn't really kick in. You don't see the full effect of the console generation until, you know, two or three years in. That's when you start getting these titles that, you know, um, you know, the studios who've been developing these games on this hardware have been doing it, you know, now for a full cycle for the most part, or, you know, they actually have time to familiar familiarize themselves with the, the hardware they're working on and things like that. Like you're seeing these top tier games come out that reflect being able to use this technology. So that's where I still worry a little bit because then, you know, how scalable is scalable and what, what does that look like in terms of, you know, will this game that's coming out, that's going to be optimized with, you know, 8k in mind and things like that. And granted, you know, smart delivery supposedly is going to tackle a lot of that and be able to, you know, take care of a lot of the situations like that of, you know, hey, you're getting this texture pack if you're loading into Xbox Series X or whatever. But I, I think the architecture and the load speeds will get them so far, but just not. I, I just want to, I just hope that, I just really hope that, you know, graphically immersion, immer, like the immersion aspect of the game, uh, pacing, things like that aren't hindered with game development whenever we're talking, you know, keeping this hardware along. Now, granted, we may see a mid-gen refresh that is pretty inevitable that I feel will probably be end up being that way, that we're going to see some kind of Xbox Series S2 or something like we saw with the One X and PlayStation 4 Pro, things like that. I think we're going to see that maybe with both consoles, you know, with the Series S and X. We'll see an updated version of those that may have some more you know support to them and whatnot as that tech becomes more readily available and accessible that they can get a lower price point and whatnot, but... It'll be interesting. I'm just interested to see how long the S holds up long term, especially because we're seeing the Xbox One S head into the next generation being manufactured into the next generation over the Xbox One X that is now discontinued. So it'll be interesting. Talking Halo Infinite a little bit, Mike, here as we start to head towards the end of this topic. Right now, it could be a little bit taboo given now so much unknown, the release date being delayed, everything like that. But as Steven pointed out, to fill in his interview, a thought of many within the gaming community online. I've been reading on, you know, Reddit and things like that, that people bring up is releasing the game in parts, considering, mm -hmm. you know, you know, hey, we're gonna considering the multiplayer alone already is free to play. They're already they already announced, hey, Halo Infinite's multiplayer is going to be a fr is free to play. If you don't have to buy Halo Infinite, but you can get in free to play no matter what. So it's kind of insinuating that that already is going to be offered alone as a standalone product. So releasing the game in parts isn't that necessarily ridiculous of a thought to do. So is it a reasonable idea, Mike, for Microsoft and 343 to kind of contemplate this? Phil already admitting that they kind of have internally and the thought has crossed. It seems like it has been brought up before. You know, is it reasonable idea for them to contemplate over? You know, as Phil said, they need to be smart, obviously, with the approach of title. So would that be smart? Is that something to at least should be kind of thought out of, hey, here's the campaign multiplayer's coming in six months, or would that hurt the actual launch of that game and, you know, the impact it has being stretched out like that? Um, so my original knee-jerk reaction is like, well, you know, Call of Duty did that this year. Um, they released mm -hmm. it in parts. Now, of course, the cons or the multiplayer and the campaign came out at the same time, but the Warzone didn't come out until a little bit later, right? So, knee-jerk mm -hmm. reaction is like, oh, yeah, like, who cares, you know? 
make the game right and release it. You know, that's all that really matters at the end of the day is just getting it out and get, and it being good, right? And then something that's like this dark, ominous cloud mm-hmm. shows up in my head, and it's like they've had six, they've had five years. Like you've had five years, and you pretty much didn't quite abandon Halo Five per se because there were patches, there were updates. But for mm-hmm. all intents and purposes, once you released Halo 5, you said we have a little, uh, like a small team on hand for MCC fixes and, and changes. But mm-hmm. by and large, a majority of the team is looking forward to our next Halo experience. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. I can get behind that. But now, you know, you're already missing your original deadline, which was five years away. Um, it's already delayed. And then you're saying like, Oh, well there's still going to be stuff that's not quite ready. So it's going to have to be released in parts. Um, the halo fan in me is super disappointed because, you know, we were, we were supposed to be having a game coming out here in a few weeks. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, the esports scene is, you know, still has a lot of passionate fans, a lot of people that support it. Yeah, you know, it seems like regardless. it seems like HC HCS is growing. I see more teams kind of pop up saying like, "Hey, we're making an infinite team. We're doing this and that." Like, it still seems um, to be you know growing or in the growth phase, as small as that may be. They're doing the right things from a publicity standpoint that mm-hmm. is attracting some top organizations, which is huge for the you know competitive scene. Having mm-hmm. very good. Um, organizations on the scene means players are going to not only is the game going to get a lot more exposure that you get with having a, a you know organizations like cloud nine if team liquid were to come back clg like you know those big organizations there's you know fans who support those organizations that are going to come to the game because hey c9 has a team in halo so i'm a c9 fan period i'm going to go you know be a fan of them and you know i'm someone who like i loved team liquid's counter-strike team and even though that team's pretty much completely, you know, re re rinsed, and you know, you're an, a a North America fan, so you ha- you did like C9. I was never, I was always like, if C9 and Liquid played, I always wanted Liquid to win, right? And that mm-hmm. even that can be said even in you know League of Legends, even though I don't even really watch. I do, you know, hope Team Liquid does well, just because they were my favorite team in CS. But mm-hmm. um, the biggest thing that these orgs coming back to Halo means is like. There's going to be more money on the table for players, more salary, uh, more prize money. And let's be clear, like the only way these organizations that, you know, got out of Halo 5 because of lack of support, the only mm-hmm. reason why those organizations are going to be creeping back into the into the scene is if HCS is like, hey, you know, we're going to have this much money in prize pool. This is kind of they have plans. Obviously, they have plans you know, on file and they've been talking to these orgs and saying, Hey, this is what's coming down the pipe for Halo Infinite. Once it releases, you guys probably want to get involved. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's great for the scene. That's amazing. Um, you know, I still just don't, you know, I don't give a pass to Microsoft for saying, Hey, you know, we're going to take six plus years to make this game. And then you're only going to get it in parts. It's not going to all be ready at the same time. If they were like campaign and multiplayer come out at the same time, uh, battle Royale later, I would even Mm -hmm. be down for that. But Mm -hmm. you know, I can't support them if multiplayer and, and campaign aren't going to release at the same time. Yeah, and and especially if that if that is the case, like say they do explore that route. And granted, game Game Pass gets you in the door a lot cheaper. It's the easiest option for a lot of people. Yada yada. I get that, but 
we have to think Halo is one of the biggest gaming franchises in the history of video games. Hands down. It may not be at the precipice of, you know, importance right now or on the market share, I guess you could say. But Halo always does big numbers, no matter what, online, statistically, you know, when we're talking view metrics, things like that, like analytics show that Halo still does big numbers. But in terms of history, it's one of the biggest franchises of all time. The fact that you got to think about that is, once again, it goes back to this is Joe Blow who buys Call of Duty and Madden every year. Oh, but the new Halo is coming out. I got to get that. It's going to be one of those games that, oh, just like the people who, you know, hey, I bought a Switch, but I it was because that was the only way I could play Breath of the Wild. That's the only game mm -hmm. I wanted. It's a new Zelda game. Like, it's that big. So you got to think that, like, if they're doing that, they have to take into consideration for that user who is going to go out and, you know, are they going to charge $60, $70, actually probably now $70 for this game if day one it only has campaign and multiplayer is coming six months down the road or three months down the road or whatever, they're still going to charge $60 for that? Like, okay, so then you're talking early access or something like that. Like, it doesn't, for that level of franchise and that level of being your AAA, that is your premier franchise, hands down. No matter what is going on still, with every other Microsoft franchise and Bethesda being acquired or whatever. You get what I'm saying? Homegrown Microsoft franchise, Halo and Xbox are synonymous with each other. If you know Xbox, you know Halo. So it's like, I don't think that works with that franchise. With, you know, Gears of War even? Maybe. Like, even then, that's kind of pushing it. That I don't even know. I think that's still even a pretty big name. But not as big as Halo. But you get what I mean. It's like... I just couldn't imagine going, having some justifying saying going into a store, paying $60 on release day for Joe Blow consumer who isn't on Game Pass or whatever. I just go and buy my games at Walmart or whatever and charging them $60, $70 for that and only having campaign. Like that's just, if the blowback they thought with no split screen in Halo 5 was bad, this is going to be a dumpster fire. Like I just, I just don't think that'll work with this this level of franchise. Like, I think there's, it's too well-known, too widespread and crosses into too many different player groups for that to be an applicable thing to do. I think just release it when it's ready. Shoot for next holiday season, release it then, release it as a full package. And then if they want to do BR six months down the road, like uh, Call of Duty does or four months down the road, whatever, cool, do that. That's totally fine. But make sure it's you walk out of whoever Joe Blow walks out of the store or whatever the casual consumer walks is able to walk in and buy the new Halo game them not know any different they just heard a new Halo is coming out they got campaign multiplayer those are the two things that Halo is known for campaign multiplayer and they have both of those day one ready to go if not they're gonna get a I think they're gonna get a fucking shit ton of backlash for it so finally Mike before we round out this we can start to kind of head towards the end of the show here Nintendo Microsoft They've been pretty buddy-buddy the past few years, as Steven and uh, Phil talk about. You know, both giving their kind of, you know, hey, we're coming from behind. We're the underdog mentality towards their respective market standings, pretty much, for the most part. So, as both seem to be finding an upward trajectory heading into next-gen, Nintendo already pretty much cementing that fact, with the Switch being this fucking bona fide blockbuster seller, and it's selling tens of millions of it right now. It seems like they are beginning to kind of once again distance themselves. Just the kind of vibe I'm getting from each other to a degree. You know, obviously, like Steven mentioned, Moon Studio not being a true first party Microsoft studio. They don't own them or anything. They just partnered with them, helped publish their, you know, the Ori games and whatnot. But 
them giving them the flexible freedom to go to Nintendo and, you know, get it on Switch. That game, those games are very much, you know, at home on the Switch, uh, being in the machine that it is. You know, do you think their relationship is still truly tangible as Phil was talking about heading into next gen? Sure, it it doesn't hurt, you know, to really do it for the most part. You're still only going to benefit each other. But as both sides start to balloon a little bit and have bigger successes and those deals become bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, does that relationship see as impactful as before now that they're both kind of, you know, Microsoft's gaining more first party content that they didn't have before. So working with them to get their party content out on Nintendo to get people to recognize them like Ori and things like that, you know, you know, Nintendo selling switches like crazy, you know, does it really, is it tangible? Is it needed heading into next gen? Um, I, I don't know. I think, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong whenever, you know, two of the two companies like this are, are kind of, you know, so close to each other. But I think, you know, if it gets Master Chief and Super Smash Brothers, <laughs> that'd be mm-hmm. amazing. But I don't obviously don't think like that's going to happen. Anything crazy like that. I will say I think it's a lot less important going into the next generation because it does seem like Microsoft and Nintendo have both positioned themselves really well going forward. Um, it's never a bad thing when two, you know, powerful companies like this are, are working so closely together, but it does feel like some of the recent sentiments from Phil Spencer seems like, um, I don't know that it was ever a marriage, but the relationship is definitely aging or, you know, is going to be a lot less prominent going forward. And it's understandable. Um, I don't think either one is as worried about their standing, you know, against, you know, someone like Sony anymore. Just mm-hmm. obviously Sony's still going to sell regardless, but I think that they're a lot less worried about, oh, we need to partner up um, to kind of take down that one dragon because I think both look at each other, look at themselves in the mirror and look at each other and say, wow, you know, both of these companies are bona fide sellers. They're both going to be, you know, okay, uh, all things considered. So they don't, they probably aren't, you know, as concerned about, about it as, you know, coming into this generation because, you know, the Xbox 360 you know, when the Xbox one generation first started, it was probably, you know, I know for a fact for me, it was a lot of shock. It was just like, holy crap. Like granted the PS3 still outsold the Xbox 360. It was still something where I was like in America, especially like everyone plays Halo. Everyone has Xbox. Everyone plays Call of Duty on Xbox. Like Mm -hmm. people that had PlayStation were like outliers, but it's because they had, you know, older PlayStations that they loved or whatever. And that's okay too. But you know, the Xbox was King and then all of a sudden it wasn't. And it was certainly probably a punch right to the mouth of Microsoft. And they kind of did what they had to do to, you know, get by and, and, you know, they did it well. And I, I think, you know, they, just purchased Bethesda. So I don't know that they necessarily need to be as buddy, buddy with Nintendo as they once were because they're making huge moves to try to set themselves up for, you know, continued and sustained success. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. And, and that's where I, I don't think it's, you know, there, it doesn't seem like there's any like, you know, hard feelings or anything. And even from fans, I don't think many are saying like, Oh, this is make or break. This is, you know, with me being on either of these platforms, I think it was just a nice, because they were never truly, like, super in bed with each other or anything like that. It wasn't, like, all of, you know, every single first-party um, 
you know, Xbox title was going to Switch. Now, at one point, they talked about potentially, you know, there were rumblings of Game Pass coming to Switch and things like that. And I would never take those off the table because that does still seem like a really easy wave and becomes one of those supported devices that Microsoft always talks about bringing people into their ecosystem. That's another move to bring people into their ecosystem. So I don't completely throw that out the door, but in terms of bringing games from Xbox to Nintendo platforms or vice versa or whatever, like I just don't see that. I don't see that carrying over to next gen too long because there's no like, I don't know. There's just no true like need to do it anymore. Like you were saying, the Bethesda deal was just inked. I mean, that's, the amount of content from that alone coming over. I mean, you, Bethesda, you got to think, Bethesda hosted for multiple, multiple years their own E3 conference alongside Microsoft, alongside Sony, alongside, you know, well, Nintendo does directs. But point being, as a large third-party pub, they hosted a hours-long press conference. Like, mm-hmm. they that, that all of that content now falls under Microsoft. So it's like, they don't necessarily need that. I mean, that was a marketing push, really, to get their Xbox games onto, you know, Ori getting onto, you know, on Microsoft's end. I'm sure they view that as, hey, it's just getting our, our name out there. It's getting Xbox Studio Game Studios to pop up on the Switch. And, oh, Xbox made this game? I wonder what Xbox other Xbox games are out there. Oh, well, wow, they got a lot of stuff. Oh, shit, I can get into Game Pass for next to nothing. I can try them out. Like, it's just a marketing deal. So, like... I just don't think they'll need that now because they have the content to back it up. So I, I I just don't see it moving forward at all. Like it doesn't really seem, you know, it, it, it both got what they needed out of it, I think. And both really don't need it anymore. The switch is selling like hotcakes and hopefully Microsoft with their new next gen systems and their, hopefully their ecosystem grows like hotcakes. So more people will be playing it already. So anyways, Mike, before we round out the show here, one last little news article I kind of just wanted you to touch on real quick for the most part, since you are the RTS guy in our group here. Blizzard Vets form Frost Giant Studios. This comes from Brendan Sinclair over on GamesIndustry.biz. A pair of former Blizzard developers announced today that Frost Giant announced Frost Giant Studios, their new company focused on making real-time strategy games for a broader audience than the genre has historically enjoyed. Frost Giant is co-founded by Tim Morton and Tim Campbell. Morton, who serves as Frost Giant CEO, was production lead on StarCraft II Legacy of the Void and spent the past six years at Blizzard. Prior to that work, he had stints at Activision, Sony Santa Monica, and Electronic Arts, where he worked on the Command & Conquer franchise. Campbell is a Blizzard veteran from another era, having worked there in the early 2000s when he was campaign lead designer for Warcraft 3's expansion, The Frozen Throne. Since then, he has helped found a pair of studios, Super Villain Studios and Fireforge, and more recently served as a design director for the System Shock 3 project at Other Side Entertainment and game director for Wasteland 3 at In Exile Entertainment. The two developers have raised $4.7 million in seed funding led by uh, Bitcraft Ventures with participation from OneUp Ventures, GC Tracking, Riot Games, and Griffin Gaming Partners. The money will be used for, quote, to begin building a prototype for gameplay, construct consumer research, and expand operations. Quote, real-time strategy players are an incredibly passionate community, and they deserve not just a great new game, but one that they can share broadly with friends, Morton said. Building a worthy successor will take time, but we're incredibly excited and grateful to carry real-time strategy forward at Frost Giant Studios. So, 
we're both big RTS fans. Mike, you are a much, much, much higher degree of a fan than me, but I still enjoy my RTSs from time. So I want to get your opinion on this. And I feel like it's a genre that has both evolved in good and some not great ways over the past two decades after having it's really like golden arrival in the 90s. That's a golden time frame that we always kind of think of Starcraft, early World Warcraft, you know, AOE, things like that coming out during that era. Having two RTS staples in Tim Morton and Tim Campbell at the helm of the studio with experience of a ton of traditional RTS titles and a ton of just experience across the AAA landscape as well, you know, is sure to leave a lot of fans from past Blizzard titles pretty happy, at least, especially when you look at their lineage with Blizzard. So, Mike, what are you hoping to see out of a Frost Giants RTS game, you know, given their talent, pedigree, and experience? And I guess in your mind, what makes an RTS title a success in the eyes of both old and new fans alike today? Um, I, so RTSs are in a very weird place right now. And I think anyone that has ever been an RTS fan or pays attention to the genre at all would be, you know, that's not like far-fetched to say, and that wouldn't be like incorrect to say. And, you know, the same thing can almost be said about first-person shooters in a way, because... Um, you know, that genre was one, especially in the North American scene and even in Europe was, you know, the king for, you know, the two thousands basically, right. With halos and call of duties and counter-strike and with esports in general, but, you know, people always talked about how, you know, Koreans were so good at Starcraft and they historically have been great at the RTS genre and, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you know, but they can't compete with us in FPS, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, to each their own, um, both of the genres are in a weird spot because Counter-Strike's playing a game in Counter-Strike Global Offensive that's been around for, uh, you know, I guess it probably released in, what, 2012, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that? I, I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, 2012. I don't re- Yeah, so it's, you know, eight years old and... Halo is in this weird limbo where it's playing a five-year-old game or a 10 or a 12 or a 13, you know, like Call of Duty gets a new game every year, but, you know, it's just so weird. And RTS is, you know, you see the StarCraft Pro scene split up between StarCraft 2 and Brood War. There still is a lot of Brood War tournaments, primarily in Korea. And, you know, that's a game that was released in 1999. So... (laughs) RTS is in a weird spot because I feel like it's the genre that is the most punishing for casual players. And what I mean by that is, you know, anyone can take a grenade launcher and get kills or a rocket launcher or a shotgun and get kills in Call of Duty. But in RTS games, if you have skill based matchmaking and you play against someone and they're better than you, the littlest mistake as in losing a worker here or there or not making enough workers or doing a, an improper build order, you know, the, the smallest fraction of a misplay in an RTS seems like it's put under a magnifying glass and it's blown up into this big mistake that like mm-hmm. a few wrong moves here or there in a game of Age of Empires 2 can literally be the difference between, you know, you being you winning and then you getting destroyed. And that feeling of getting absolutely smoked is something that, you know, people don't generally enjoy. Like, even if you're not necessarily very competitive, you still don't like to feel like you got blown off the map or you got destroyed. Right. 
and RTSs mm-hmm. have traditionally been very punishing. So it feels like, and it sounds like, you know, they might be making a game that's a little bit more, not, um, you know, noob or anything like that friendly, but a game that's more friendly to the casual audience, which is something that I think RTSs and, you know, FPSs have really harbored, but RTSs have, you know, haven't really made that switch yet. And I feel like they would, fare a lot better with player base if they would so Mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear them say those types of things because i think that's something that the genre has been missing so Mm -hmm. i am excited to see what they come up with especially because they got a lot of the ogs together and -hmm. pretty much everyone that's a blizzard rts fan like whether you like starcraft more or warcraft more pretty much everyone's like hey man we really want a new warcraft we want to see what you can do with it but i don't think that's ever going to come but uh, I mean, this is exciting, and I'm excited to see what they do with the genre, because the RTS genre is one that I've dabbled in, not as much as my first-person shooter, but even as of recently, I've been playing a ton of Age of Empires 2, and, you know, it's just a, a genre that's a lot of fun, and it's challenging. It makes you think of things differently. You use a different part of your brain a lot of the time with RTSs than you do, just, like, sh- reacting to first-person shooters, you know what I mean? You have to do... Mm-hmm. You do a lot of scouting and reacting, but by and large, you also try to dictate the, the the way at which you play the game with an opponent. You try to make them make certain units that counter your units, and then you counter that counter, and it always seems like everyone has to be one step ahead of each other, right? So mm-hmm. I'm interested to see what they do, and it's interesting that they were able to drum up so much money so quickly because it seems like other people believe in the studio from an outside mm-hmm. point of view, which is awesome, too. Yeah. And I mean, you touched on it already. You saying like we you see how popular like for the most part, I mean, here in the U.S. at least, you know, RTS is kind of like slide under the radar right now. They don't they're they're You know, the FPS genre rules so much of the U.S. gaming market that, you know, competitively, when we think about that, that's what you think of the Call of Duties. You think of Fortnite, you think of things like that, where RTSs are such a global game. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's why you're seeing, I think, so much funding thrown at it right away because you see, you've seen the success of, you know, Warcraft back in the day, of StarCraft, my God, for 20 years being this RTS juggernaut worldwide that still doesn't slow down. And now you're seeing, you know, the evolution of those games in MOBAs that have popped up and, you know, League of Legends being the world's game. If soccer's the world's game, you know, sport then it's League of Legends is the world's game because of how many people play it. And same with Dota and things like that, you know. So it's good to see it's good to see that kind of money being thrown at people who understand RTSs across a broad range of periods within that game genre's time. That they have experiences across such a plethora of versions of RTS that I, I I'm excited for that. Like I me who like is hot and cold with RTSs at times. Like I love fucking Warcraft three. I love star Starcraft back in the day. I never really like went on too much to get into like Civ or anything like that, you know, and I played AOE from time to time. Like it's, I'm excited for this because I see how much these guys have, how much experience with the RTS genre that have been brought in. And I mean, and, just right off the bat too i mean talking about tim campbell i mean oh, most yeah. recently being the game director for wasteland 3 and seeing how much credit that's gotten and that being you know granted an rpg but having those elements too of you know things that tie into rts's at its core you know base management and you know uh 
just any type of management really that you want to throw at it is, you know, is a shared connection between, you know, role-playing games and RTSs. So, you know, I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm definitely excited to see where it goes. So, Mike, let's head into party chat as we cap off the episode this week. If you're new to the show, Party Chat is where we propose one question at the end of each week of the show that we want to discuss with you and with us first, then with you. You got it all. Could be as simple as what's your favorite story beat of a game? What have you been playing during quarantine? Or could be more in depth as to why the negative stigma around gaming still exists. And after answering it ourselves, we'll kick it over to you. Just tweet your responses over on our Twitter at GPGC Podcast or email us over at our uh, email account bonus accessory at gmail you can find that over on our twitter as well and we'll read some of the responses the following week last week's question do you think that you will use the quick resume feature on xbox series x or s as much as microsoft thinks you will harold y over on our email wrote into us saying as a husband and a father my gaming time is already limited as it is so any ability to quick get me quickly into or get me quickly my ability to quickly get me gaming quicker uh, that Kind of tongue-tied me there, Harold, I'm not going to lie. Easiest, and most importantly, gaming more will definitely be impactful and useful for people like me. Good point. So, this week's question, as Game Pass continues to expand, Mike, do you see Microsoft having the same issues as Sony does with its PlayStation Store in terms of players accessing and finding titles that may be smaller in scale or independent? So, do you think, you know, accessibility and finding smaller games, do you think the... Sh- the store, or really, I guess, Game Pass is going to be a shit show in, ter- in terms of trying to find games on it as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Do you think games will still be as accessible as they are right now? I think, you know, I even, you know, me and my brother had a little bit of an issue finding NHL 20 on the Microsoft store, mm-hmm. which is crazy, like finding the correct version that we wanted. So I will say that it does seem like the entire system you know, it, it is a concern because it might seem like the algorithms or, or things of that nature might be a little off. And we see it with YouTube recommendations where, you know, the algorithm might be a little strange and recommend something that might not be that great. So I think it's going to be very important that it takes your previous games that you've played into consideration and maybe be like, have a recommended section like Netflix or Hulu. You know what I mean? That way you can maybe get exposure to games that you weren't, you know, previously going to be exposed to but mm-hmm. another something that comes to mind is like the steam library and how overwhelming it can be it does mm-hmm. seem like it's headed in that direction and it's very hard to find indie games if you just aren't actually looking for them right so mm-hmm. i would say I, I am concerned and it is you know it could be an issue going down the road that you wouldn't be able to find a game you know that's an indie developer or a smaller developer which is sad because I think, you know, the entire show and all the friends of the show can say, like, some of our best experiences in gaming have been, you know, indie produced. And I don't want to lose that just because it's, you know, they're impossible to find or obscure or things of that nature. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. In that I, I have the same concerns with it. Uh, hopefully, though, the way Game Pass is, it's it's starting to become quality over quantity, but in a much more impactful way like it's still you're still seeing a ton of games come to it but seeing kind of it being an ever rotating list of games with having staples like you know all of the first party content and whatnot that are always there um you know it is nice seeing stuff kind of rotate in and out that i'm hoping it stays kind of like that and it just stays like right now it's just integrated into the xbox's ui that you go under if you're a game pass member you can go under there's a tab for game pass games under your library that you can just go and click right into it under your you know my games and whatever it is uh on there like your system so it's 
right now it's easy to do that. I I hope we haven't seen the store yet, really, with the new system uh, with the new systems and you know the update UI and whatnot. I would imagine it's probably the same with how similar they're keeping the UI in general the same. So I think if they keep it at that rate, where it's kind of you know kind of a rolling type of thing, like. It makes sense, and I think I think it'll be fine. But like you're saying, I hope I hope for the store in general, though there is because Microsoft Store suffers the same as PlayStation's, where it's it's just a fucking train wreck with that. It's it's hard to find stuff. So, Mike, I think that's going to do it for our episode this week. Why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet to talk about all we've talked about today? You can find me on Twitter at t o y s x l. D-I-E-R, that's uh, Toy Soldier with an X instead of the second O. And you can also find me on Twitch at MP underscore Toy Soldier. Again, tonight, 8.30, Amnesia Rebirth playthrough. Uh, come through, come let me know how, how you felt about the episode. Come let me know that you think I'm an idiot and watch me be an <laughs> idiot and be a pansy on uh, you know playing the game and be a wuss. There we go. And as always, I'm your host, Travis White, a.k.a. Travis, on most internet platforms, including at Twitter, that is at Travelis underscore, that's T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S underscore. You can also find me streaming time to time over on twitch.tv slash Travelis underscore, same as Twitter. And you can find me playing some games over on Xbox Live at just regular Travelis. That's T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S. And that, ladies and gentlemen, has been your newest episode of the Game Pass Gamecast, your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox, Xbox Game Pass, and PC gaming, including news, rumors, and conversations around them damn good video games. You can catch new episodes of the show when they drop each and every Friday morning on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So be sure to subscribe to us, rate us, review us, all that jazz wherever you get a podcast at and. Follow us on Twitter at GPGC Podcast. Stay up to date with everything regarding the show, video games like, and our dope giveaways. With that being said, Mike, it's going to do it for our episode this week. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening, sharing, and being a part of our growing community. Game on, wash your hands, listen to the doctors, Black Lives Matter, and we will see you next week.